Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. Well, we're going to dive into the Word of God. Thank you, musicians, so much. You guys are amazing. We really appreciate you so much. Um, I want to mention just one more thing real quick before we dive into the teaching, and that is, should you be interested uh, in the foyer on our ministry table are some um, books and teaching resources. There'll be a blessing if you're interested in that. I found that whenever God provokes hunger in a certain area in your life, if you uh, press in in those specific, uh, specific areas, you can experience really tremendous growth. So, you know, whether it's our materials or others, if you're really interested in the Holy Spirit, hope you really dive in. There are some things back there that kind of align a little bit with what we're talking about tonight. Um, this little book could actually change your life. It's amazing. Um, this little book called Want More is all about our subject tonight. It's entirely different material, but all about our, our subject tonight, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And maybe you, you've come to, maybe Painesville Assembly is your home church or your new home church, and you come from a background where spirit baptism wasn't talked about, and so you don't really understand it, and this book is for you. It just literally walks step by step through the scriptures about it and helps people to understand or receive. And then the second benefit of this is if you're a long-term frustrated seeker, many long-term frustrated seekers, excuse me, just need to spend some time alone in prayer, but they typically don't, not because they're, you know, bad or unspiritual, but it's just like when you're in a service and you feel the anointing and there's an atmosphere there, you really want to dive in, but oftentimes that doesn't happen, you know, when you're at home in that, in that uh, thick corporate atmosphere. But there's a chapter in here that helps you kind of walk into that uh, when you're all by yourself. And I found that a lot of long-term seekers just are more private people. And they, they, they can get so far with others around, but because spirit baptism is actually a very intensely personal experience, though it can happen corporately, but really when you boil it down, it's deeply personal happening in your inner being. A lot of people that are more private just need to be alone, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, I happened to be alone when I, was, when I received spirit baptism, so it made a difference for me. But anyway, that, that will be a blessing. Um, and then we have a, a kid's version of that book called Kid Power, if you have elementary kids or grandkids, um, and that will be a, a blessing. Or if, if you're just a, an adult that needs to be like a child, that will be helpful. So take advantage of that. All right. Well, hey, uh, let's dive into the Word of God. And uh, I'm going to jump ahead to this two scripture slides if I can real quick. And let me invite you all to stand with me to your feet in honor of the reading of God's Word. Just a quick FYI, tomorrow morning we're talking about trusting the Holy Spirit and uh, taking new steps towards him in that way. And then tomorrow night, I'm going to be teaching on how to minister healing to other people. And we're going to end with a great time of healing prayer. Just out of curiosity, how many of you have ever experienced the healing power of Jesus in your body or mind before? Um, he's so good and gracious. And I want to encourage you to come and give that opportunity because if you're a Christian, a component of the resources that are just available to you, even if you don't claim to have any special gift, as a believer... God has given you the ability to minister, open up the doorway and minister healing to other people. And you'd be surprised how few Christians understand that. And instead they believe their own inner narrative of fear or failure rather than the word of God. 
and, or else they look at someone that's super duper gifted and they go, well, I don't have that anointing. Yeah, but you have the anointing of the Holy Spirit available to you. And we're going to learn how generous God is in ministering healing through people who don't know what we're doing, right? And we're going to see how God works in that way. And so come and we'll end up praying for each other and seeing a, a beautiful outpouring of God's healing grace, some great testimonies. So don't miss it. That's Sunday night, all right? Well, we're going to read Acts 19. This um, Acts 18, of course, precedes Acts 19. Does that surprise anybody? And in Acts chapter 18, we learn the setup. So Apollos uh, was the Egyptian evangelist. Uh, very mighty, powerful in the scriptures, and yet we learn in Acts chapter 18 that he had he spoke everything about Jesus with the highest level of accuracy except one doctrine. Do you remember what it was? Water baptism. Water baptism. Remember, who was the first person in the New Testament to water baptize people? John the Baptist, right? That's where his name comes from. And so the idea of, of water baptism was actually an Old Testament uh, kind of a developing thing took place. The first reference to passing through water for cleansing from the old life into the new was the crossing of the Red Sea. Paul even mentions that once. And so God kind of uses that. It's a great metaphor of washing. How many are glad your neighbor took a bath today, whatever. And, uh, and, and if you yourself didn't, please don't raise your hand because it lets the dogs out like that old hymn says, you know. But um, so we have this idea of water baptism. Apollos was still practicing John the Baptist's water baptism, which was a precursor to Christian baptism. A couple things about John the Baptist water baptism was that it was done to people who had not yet put their faith in the Messiah because he hadn't been revealed. It was before they became a Christian. It was a baptism of repentance. That was the only area that Apollos was deficient. So he would baptize new converts under John the Baptist water baptism, not the water baptism that Jesus mandated, the fullest expression, Christian baptism that we now do, baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or as the book of Acts calls it, baptism into Jesus or in Jesus' name. That's not what they said. That's saying separating it from John's baptism. So with that background, we're hopping now into the book of Acts chapter 19, where 18 tells us all that. But in Acts 19 now, Apollos and Paul switch places. Apollos goes to Corinth. Paul comes to Ephesus now, and he finds the converts from Apollos' ministry. So think about this. He's trying to disciple brand new Christians. You ready to read with me? Let's read together, all right? While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast where he found several believers. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed, he asked them? No, they replied. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you experience, he asked. And they replied, the baptism of John. Paul said, John's baptism called for repentance from sin, but John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. Father, thank you so much for your word and for your power, and I pray, Lord, that you will just through your clarifying help of your Holy Spirit, you'll help us to understand more and therefore desire more and therefore go after you, Lord, with a fuller intensity of heart. 
We sung it all tonight about having passion and burning for you and welcoming the freshness of your spirit. And that's exactly what I welcome. I pray, God, that every person in this room will either experience the beautiful gift of the baptism in the Holy Spirit for the first time tonight, or for those that have already experienced that gift, they will experience a renewal and intensification of that experience. Pour your spirit out on us, we pray. Thank you, God, for those that received beautiful healings last night, but we pray, God, that would intensify as well tonight. Minister, strengthen to us, Lord, not only those present in this room, but those online. Let your grace go to them, we pray. Amen, amen, amen. You can be seated if you like. Uh, So let's go back to the first scripture slide if we can real quick. So in uh, the beginning, uh, Apollos is... um, In Ephesus, he leads people to Jesus. He speaks powerfully. Um, Paul had previously dropped off Priscilla and Aquila in Ephesus and then went on to get the lay of the land, and they had found and collected together uh, the converts under Apollos' ministry. And Apollos then went to Corinth, and and Paul ends up there. They kind of work together. You've read the passages where Paul talks about the different ministries, and one plants, another waters. Some people say that I, you know, I I follow Apollos, and I follow Paul. And Paul's like, that's malarkey, follow Jesus. You know, where that's really what it's all about. You remember some of those passages. So this is a demonstration of how God kind of partnered their ministries. So remember, this is getting ready now, and Ephesus is a, a major component in the New Testament church. In fact, the church in Ephesus would grow to be the second largest church on planet earth and the second most influential church on earth. A lot of people think that's Corinth or the church of Rome. Compared to Ephesus, those were small churches. Um, Ephesus would be Paul's largest, most successful, most fruitful ministry of any of the churches that he planted. He would be there the longest for a little over three years. Nine books in the New Testament are written to Ephesus, about Ephesus, or from Ephesus, where Paul spent that lengthy time of ministry. So it's a very, it's a big convergence point, um, and this is kind of the beginning of the, how this church planted. Uh, a lot of times today, the way that we plant churches is just through strategy. Well, we want to plant a church in this town, so we're going to hire people that are good pastors to go there and just plant the church and do it, and we're going to get mail outs and all that. That's, that's all cool. But the New Testament model adds spiritual outpouring to church planning, which both together are really the best way. Anointing and strategy working together are an unstoppable force, right? And so this is kind of what's going on. Paul finds these converts, and he asks them a peculiar question to ask new converts. Don't you think that, like, uh, you know, I mean, we want to be wise. There's a lot of churches that are backing away from the Holy Spirit's ministry because they don't want to freak out the new people, to which I always say, then don't be freaky, you know? I don't want to weird them out. Well, then don't be weird. I don't want to scare. Don't be scary, you know? You don't have to dim the lights and turn on the smoke machines when you talk about the Holy Spirit. Keep, turn the lights brighter and let everyone see. Let, let the, the uh, um, Zacchaeus you know, kind of climb the tree and look from a distance and see that this is beautiful and spiritual and unmanipulated and, and deeply personal, deeply spiritual. Let them see. We've got you know, nothing to hide on that. And so uh, Paul's first question to the unbelievers was, have you received your church coffee mug since you believed? His first question was, Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? The literal Greek in this line is, having believed, past tense, have you since received the Holy Spirit? So there's some tense stuff going on here. And their response was what? 
holy who? So it's kind of interesting. The apostle Paul then has an immediate question come to mind. Then how were you water baptized? Now, why would that raise the question of water baptism? Because Jesus in Matthew 28 commanded us to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They would have heard that there was or is a Holy Spirit as they were baptized in full Christian water baptism version 2.0, the final version, right? Um, They would have heard of that. So that immediately raised a question, how were you baptized? They said, oh, John the Baptist baptism. Jesus, or Paul said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's great, but... It's not the complete meaning. That's like pre-Christian, I want to get ready for the Messiah. We already know it's a baptism of repentance to prepare your heart. That's fine, but we don't really do that anymore. You need to get your water baptism updated. And so they downloaded the update right there, you know. Now, this is interesting because this does kind of apply to us today. Um, If you're wondering why here at Painesville Assembly and at, you know, uh, most evangelical churches, why we don't baptize or christen infants or very young children that are precognitive of salvation is because the newest or the most uh, accurate, the most current model of water baptism in the Bible is the one Jesus commanded, and it's only done upon people who have themselves made a personal commitment to be saved. And this is a good application point. Maybe you come from a different faith tradition, and we don't believe that baptizing or christening children is is sinful. It's just not the most biblically up-to-date version of water baptism. And so since you've been saved, if you've not yet made the commitment to be water baptized, you need to do so to honor the Lord and really make sure you're fulfilling with obedience what he has for you. But then the Apostle Paul takes them a step beyond updating their water baptism, and, uh, and they, he lays hands upon them, and they experience a different kind of baptism, spirit baptism. Did you know that biblically as Christians, there are two baptisms for us to experience, water baptism and spirit baptism? We're going to dive into that for just a second, but first I want to show you kind of take a step back and look at a a framework of context for us on the Holy Spirit's ministry, the five encounters with the Holy Spirit. Would you hit me with that real quick, the two boxes? So we have, with the five encounters with the Holy Spirit, biblically, there are five biggies. I mean, there's some other sub points, but these are the big five. So we have on the personal side of the five encounters are loaded with four of the five are there. The first is conviction, Um, That word is probably, in our modern English language, is probably translated the best for us today as convincing, because we think of conviction as an illegal conviction, where there's really no hope. Get out, you go to jail, do not pass go, do not collect $200, and go, you know, and it's over. But that's not what this is. How many know when the Holy Spirit convicts or convinces us of sin, he's trying to draw us out, right, rather than shut the door and lock us up? And so we, a great key scripture on this, if you're taking notes, is John 16, 8. When the Holy Spirit comes, Jesus says he will convince the lost in regards to their sin. How many of you have sinned? Oh, an astonishingly low number of you. I mean, I felt the Spirit, but that's probably why. Um, so their personal sin and God's righteousness. How many of you are convinced that God is entirely holy and righteous, right? And then number three, the end result, that there is judgment coming. How many feel that, right? So we have a a window of time to get ready and 
and accept the Lord upon his terms, not our own, before that time comes. So, and did you know after you sin, you can still be, or after you rather become a Christian, you can still sin? Did you know Christians sin? I saw it happen uh, the other day. We were at um, Braden and Olivia's house working on their kitchen with Lee and Rita, and Lee came in with a Dallas Cowboys shirt on. And I was like, you know, I mean, I know he loves the Lord, but I, you know, sometimes the enemy can really get in there and get a foothold. And so we just need to pray, pray for that, right? Um, Dallas Cowboy fans can go to heaven, but they just live outside of the pearly gates in boxes, golden boxes outside there. So no. All right. So I hope you can feel when my own opinions get mingled in with the preaching. I hope you're able to sort those out. All right. So conviction. Then the second work of the spirit, regeneration. This is another word for salvation. But according to the apostle Paul in Titus chapter three, verse five, this highlights the Holy Spirit's role in our salvation. We are saved because of the blood and sacrifice of Jesus, but it's the Holy Spirit who enacts that supernaturally in our lives, and then he comes to dwell inside of us. Number three, at the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit moves into our lives. And a lot of times we don't really understand this indwelling work, a great scripture on this Romans 8 verse 9, where Paul goes, hey, if you don't have the Holy Spirit living in you, you're not a Christian, he comes to live inside of us, or the Corinthian temple texts, uh, 1 Corinthians 3.16 and 6.19, our body, our carcass is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And this is really important because a lot of people think the Holy Spirit's only there when you feel him, right? And so this is really, this, is, this can damage us. Well, he's there when I'm singing worship songs or eating Chick-fil-A or watching a puppy in a sunrise or something like that. That's when the Holy Spirit's there. But he's not there when, you know, normal... Or he's not there until we really sing, come Holy Spirit, or he's not there until we have a prayer meeting. Some of you, perhaps, maybe you're like the only believer in your family or household or workplace or school, and you feel really charged up at church because it is empowering to be around a group of people that you know, know and love the Lord and have like beliefs, and we sense and experience his presence corporately, but then you go home, and you're the only believer there, and it's almost like when you get out of your car and you go in your front door, you kind of or going to your school, or going to your place of business, or work, and you just kind of feel like you have to, on some levels, kind of tone it down and submit to that atmosphere, because you don't perhaps feel the Holy Spirit like you do when you're at church. But the Holy Spirit doesn't leave you. So we just begin to stop trusting our feelings as much as we trust the Word of God, which is much more true than our subjective feelings. And so, um, in fact, if you're the only believer in your home, you are bringing an extra sense of the Holy Spirit to what you perceive to be a dark environment. You're bringing an, a Q-beam searchlight in that room. You just may not be perceptive of it, but that's spiritually and literally uh, actually what's happening. He dwells inside of us, and there's so many benefits. If you want some subpoints, the too big of indwelling, um, or that he affirms or confirms our salvation, a lot of Christians doubt their salvation. It's a normal thing because salvation is like a digital download. There's no tangible feeling of product. There's no, there's no uh, notarized receipt, you know, that's been stamped from Gabriel the archangel or something like that to you so you can know for sure that you're saved. And, of course, the enemy loves to wield doubt and fear against us. So often it takes a little while in a believer's life for them to really understand salvation. But the Holy Spirit living inside of us, when you sense his presence, it's an affirmation to you that you belong to God. 
Now, you're probably not going to feel the Holy Spirit's presence when you're on the interstate and it's bumper-to-bumper traffic and you're late for work or, or, you know, stuff like that, or you're really tired, whatever. But the way the affirmation of the Spirit works, and uh, as an A underneath indwelling, the way this works is whenever you're at a spot where you can become sensitive to the Holy Spirit, you'll be aware of Him. That's how you know that he's there. Now, as a caveat there, how many know sometimes a Christian can go through periods of time where you don't sense him? And most often, that's not because you've suddenly taken up new sinful hobbies like serial killing or whatever it is, you know. But it's, it's, it's because, uh, like, uh, maybe some of you have ever uh, taught or taken part in or been a participant in, like, a 12-step program. A lot of times they'll use an acronym HALT, or HALTS, H-A-L-T-S, you ever heard of that? So they tell you that you're most susceptible to relapse when you're in some of these circumstances. And I think these are, are good reminders for us. There could be more, but a lot of times a Christian can go through a period of not really accurately sensing the Holy Spirit's presence, not because they're under the attack of the devil or they've taken up some you know, crime spree or something like that, but simply because of those are actually, and there's some good biblical basis for all of these, but if you're hungry... How many know most churches sing, Holy Spirit, thou art welcome till 1230, you know, whatever, because of, you know, um, hungry, angry, lonely, H-A-L, hungry, angry, lonely, T, tired, or S, sick, or you're sick and tired, that's a tough one when you're both, you know, but some people are so tired, they're actually retired, and that's a powerful level of being tired, isn't it, Right? But think about that. A lot of times, like, let's just say, you know, you, you came through a COVID battle. You, there's a pretty good chance you didn't feel a lot of Jesus during that. It's not because the Holy Spirit had left you. It's just because your natural circumstances were at a level of intensity that was stronger than you're typically accustomed to and your ability to perceive the Spirit. And so you just kind of, what do you do as a Christian that you go through a period when you don't feel the Holy Spirit? You keep on trucking because you believe the word of God over your subjective feelings. And then when things normalize out, all of a sudden, you, you know, you be, your channel begins to clarify. It's less static, and you begin to receive that. Boy, that's an old man metaphor, isn't it? Because now it's like, okay, so your bandwidth opens back up again, and you receive full 1080. You know, okay, sorry for that. All right, so, so we have... Uh, uh, a, under indwelling, that the Holy Spirit affirms or confirms our salvation, and the B is there that he guides and directs us. Did you know, even Paul said, hey, if the Holy Spirit's living in you, he's going to guide you. Those who have the Holy Spirit in them are led by the Spirit. And so he has supernatural GPS for us, and a lot of people ask everybody else's advice, and they don't ask the Holy Spirit, but he wants to help us. And then number four, the maturing work of the Holy Spirit. We think about that as the fruit of the Spirit, or the biblical word sanctification, growing in holiness. Like John the Baptist preached, he, Jesus, must what? Increase, and I must decrease. And so the maturing work of the Spirit. So that's the personal side. Four of the five uh, encounters with the Holy Spirit happen there. Now look at the next one, please. Um, the fifth one happens on the ministry side. Did you know that every Christian is called by God into the full-time ministry? Did you know that? It's astonishing to some Christians because they, they only view ministry as a vocational option. Well, I'm not a minister. I'm a doctor. I'm not a minister. I'm a mechanic. I'm a homemaker. I'm a teacher. I'm a whatever, you know. Um, I'm the one that sends the cat up the chimney at the Humane Society, you know, which technically would be ministry because cats are really terrible, aren't they, when you think about it? But um, 
it's, it's just something interesting to think about here because on this ministry side, a lot of people say, if you're offended by that, pastor asked me to say that. I've got it, you know. Um, but when you stop and think about this, a lot of people separate ministry as just a vocation, which when it boils down to it is actually kind of yucky because that basically means it's where I get my check from. And that's not how it works at all. If you are a Christian, biblically, a component of your Christianity is to share the light and love with Jesus consistently in your regular daily life with other people. A lot of people think you're not a minister unless you have a degree in, in ministry or you have a, a title, you've gotten downloaded an internet, you know, bishopric or something like that. And it's not like that. Matter of fact, do me a favor, turn to your neighbor and tell him, good evening, reverend, all right? So, I'm not giving you, like, license to go marry everybody, but biblically, we're our, we are branch offices of the kingdom and power of Jesus. Now, here's the problem. Now that you've realized you're a minister, do you feel totally inadequate and helpless? Okay? Don't you, pastor? I sure do, you know, because Jesus said, without me, you can do how much? Nothing. And I remember the angel told Mary, but with God, how many things are possible, right? So, this is, this is how this works. God only allows, with the exception of Jesus, unqualified, imperfect people that don't know their head from the hole in the ground to do ministry. Jesus is the only one that that did it right. The rest of us, we need help. Turn to your neighbor, a different neighbor, and tell them, you need help. Just tell them, all right, because it's the truth. And so guess what? He sends us the fifth work of the Spirit, the empowering of the Spirit, where he comes supernaturally to empower us to do ministry. This empowering is not about empowering you to make more money for your business. Uh, this is not about you know, empowering you to have less crow's feet or a better yard with less crabgrass. Um, it's not like a personal cosmetic fix or a happiness fix in your life. This is about an effectiveness fix in your life and mine. Most people don't step out to try to do ministry ever because they just feel under-resourced or under-equipped or inadequate on some level. But the empowering of the Spirit is all about God giving you supernatural resources and adequacy to do the work of God. And if you've ever led anybody to Jesus, you know that your performance was rather irrelevant in there, that there was a supernatural, invisible element there. Sometimes you go, man, when I was talking to that person about Jesus, there, it just, man, the words were flowing. I could feel God's help, and they repented and gave their life to Jesus. Oh, it was awesome. But on the other hand, there's also times when you go, I said everything wrong. I misquoted scripture, I, and the person still weeps and gives their life to Jesus. And you realize it's not performance rewarded, but it's obedience rewarded, Right? And so there's a big difference there. So under this empowering, there's an A and a B as well. There's our subject tonight, spirit baptism, which we'll define in just a moment. And then secondly, there'd be like the giftings of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 through 11, which are more specialized giftings that God sprinkles in addition to spirit baptism on our life. So let's look at spirit baptism. Let me give you a a definition real quick. Would you give me the definition slide? And sorry to be jumping around, but you guys are awesome. So... Check out uh, the definition of what is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Uh, go, there should be one more ahead of that. Uh, one more ahead of that. There we go. Okay, so what is, it's, it's not their fault, I'm jumping all around. So what is baptism in the Holy Spirit? 
Because right away when you see the word baptism, don't you think about water? Because that's our normal orientation in modern Christianity towards baptism, that it's only full-on Christian water baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which is totally biblically authentic and real and important for us. But did you know there's an entire book of the Bible that's devoted after Jesus ascended to heaven that he would pour out wordly upon us. He would baptize his followers in the Holy Spirit to give them supernatural power to do ministry. It's the book of Acts. It's the central theme. And the book of Acts happens in five cycles where a people or a group of people, get baptized, Christians, get baptized in the Spirit after they're saved, and then they go on to do incredible ministry, and you see way beyond their failures, way beyond their inadequacies, God coming in by the power of the Holy Spirit. And those five vignettes happen in the book of Acts, Acts 2, Acts 8, Acts 9, Acts 10, and Acts 19, which is our our text tonight. So here's a definition simply for what spirit baptism is. Spirit baptism is the prophesied empowering of the Holy Spirit. Uh, It's first prophesied in Numbers chapter 11, verse 29, the very first prophecy by Moses about baptism in the Spirit. Um, There's many little ones in there. The next big one would be Joel chapter 2 in the Old Testament, which is actually what Peter used on the day of Pentecost to describe and explain spirit baptism from the Bible at that time, because there was no New Testament written then, uh, of what was happening when people were being baptized in the Spirit. Then it's prophesied by John the Baptist in every gospel, prophesied by Jesus in Acts 1, 4, and 5. And so, you know, the major prophets, Moses, John the Baptist, Jesus, they all prophesy this. Um, the empowering of the Spirit, supernatural power for ministry, given to followers of Jesus. This is not salvation. The Bible shows us, goes out of its way, the only people that were baptized in the Holy Spirit in the New Testament were already Christians. And just so you know, so there's no misunderstanding, being baptized in the Holy Spirit doesn't make you a better Christian, a higher level Christian, a more important Christian, better parking space Christian, you know, a favorite of the pastor Christian. Baptism of the Spirit doesn't make you a better Christian. It makes you a better minister. And there's a difference there. Because how many of you have given your life to Jesus? We're all in the same level with the Lord. We all belong to him. We're adopted. He doesn't love any of us better than the others, right? That's really important to remember. Because sometimes we misunderstand this and we think, well, if you get baptized in the Spirit, then you're like, you know, you're moving up to the next level. It's not that, there's no levels. It's in or out. We are either saved or lost. We belong to God or don't. And I always think it's important to emphasize that. Um, So it's given to followers of Jesus. This is an after salvation anointing of power. The specific purpose of ministering supernaturally to other people. Now, if you remember, um, sorry to jump around, but can you go to that second five encounter slide, the one with the ministry side on there? So so check this out, the... um, uh, we have the, the five encounters, and the one has the personal ministry or personal side and the ministry side. We looked at a couple slides ago. I'm sorry I'm messing you guys up, but you're awesome to put up with me. I think everybody ought to give the media techs an extra $100 bill on the way out because they're putting up with a annoying. Uh, should be the one with the two, two colored boxes on it. There we go. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, guys. So on this ministry side, if you'll notice, I kind of shaded it a little bit. So you have what is naturally possible. Did you know the Holy Spirit can empower and accentuate what you can already do for the Lord? You know, you can make a sandwich for somebody's hungry. 
But what happens if 5,000 people show up? Well, Jesus breaks your fish, filet of fish sandwich in pieces and feeds everybody. So he can elevate an ability you already possess. But then on the other side, what is only supernaturally possible, if you don't have any fish sandwich to start with, that doesn't mess up Jesus at all. Because he can supernaturally do what needs to be done. Because typically, if something needs to be done, like, let's think of like a practical thing around a church. Pastor goes, hey, we need to, you know, pull weeds around the church or whatever. You go, uh, sign up in the foyer. And uh, you go, pull weeds. I-, I can do that. You base your decision on, do I have the ability, the time, the strength, the effort, the desire, Right? But a lot of people make the mistake in ministry, doing ministry in the Christianity and base it on, do I have the talent, the ability, the desire, the time, the want to? That's not how ministry works. We do ministry because Jesus told us to. And if I can be super blunt with you, hope that's okay, um, if we don't do ministry, we're disobeying Jesus. He commanded us to. It's not like it's optional. Well, I do ministry. I mean, whenever we have the Easter program, whatever, we bring the camels in and all that stuff. And I'm not talking about cigarettes. It's a different program. But when, when, uh, whenever we do that, well, that's when, you know, I, I park cars. Well, parking cars is awesome and it's cool and it's interaction and it's helpful. And it is ministry on some level. But we're talking about, like, as a Christian, if, if I, I'm being super blunt tonight, but if you haven't led anyone to Jesus in your whole Christianity then that should really become your biggest priority in ministry. That's a good spot to go, amen, whatever, woohoo, or, you know, it really is true because you leading just one person to Jesus can revolutionize your concept of what it is to be a Christian because now all of a sudden it's not just an inward where I've got Jesus in my locket, he lives in my heart and my left ventricle and uh, praise God, he's there and I belong to Jesus. I have a club card. All of a sudden now it's, you know, you're like the convert uh, the woman at the well, come see a man who's told me all the things I've ever done. Jesus is wondering, because you learn that your skill or lack of skill doesn't make any difference at all when it comes to ministry. It's your obedience and relying on him and learning how to move in the Holy Spirit that all of a sudden takes you to a new place. It's like you just discovered your superpower, you know, and the Holy Spirit is there to help. So aside from this uh, Um, definition, I want to show you tonight real quick four major misconceptions that people have regarding being baptized in the Holy Spirit. So if you've given your life to Jesus tonight, you are immediately qualified biblically to be baptized in the Spirit. Really, really important. And if you've already been baptized in the Spirit, guess what? It's time to download the update. Uh, people talk about getting baptized in the Spirit again. I guess that's okay language. Actually, the, the book of Acts is not as technical um, in the way it, it talks about the, the Spirit's moving in certain ways, but it is technical, technical and accurate in talking about Spirit baptism as being different, separate from salvation, and always happening afterwards. Really, really important. A lot of people think when you get saved, you get your hand stamped, and you're good, and you're on your way to heaven. You go to church once a month, you know, hopefully not on the... Sunday when pastor's preaching on tithing, and, uh, and you're good. Just, you know, don't kill anybody and, you know, whatever. Try not to get too many moving violations, and you're okay. You know, you're going to go to heaven. But how many know Christianity is a lot richer than just barely getting by? It's about abundant life and knowing, partnering with God and learning his ways and getting relationship with him. So let's look, if we can, at the first of the four misconceptions of being baptized in the Spirit. So the first misconception that people have about this 
Because so many people have not heard about this or not been taught about it, even though an entire book of the Bible is devoted to it, is that it happens at salvation or it's the same thing as salvation. That spirit baptism is a, another metaphor for salvation. And honestly, a lot of that misunderstanding happens because Romans 12 uses the word spirit and baptize in the same sentence, but in an entirely different way. And a lot of people just see that and they roll right on. Paul says in Romans 12 that God has bapt, or uh, we have all been baptized by one spirit, the Holy Spirit, into the body of Christ. And a lot of people, they see that and they go, oh, that's baptism in spirit. That's, and that's an obvious reference in the Bible to talking about salvation. But it's interesting to note when you think about that, uh, when we think of baptism by the Spirit into the body of Christ, the Holy Spirit is the one who is dunking you, immersing you, bringing you into the body of Christ, the family of God. It's a very clear reference, actually, to regeneration, the Holy Spirit's work in salvation. With spirit baptism, the Bible is clear. Jesus said himself, I, Jesus, dunk you in the Holy Spirit. It's not the Holy Spirit dunking you into the family of God. Hope that's not confusing for people, but it's an entirely different action. It's after salvation. Now, in our text, we read this question. Paul gets around these brand new converts, and he said, hey, since you've been saved, did you receive the Holy Spirit? Now, if spirit baptism and salvation were the same thing, this would be a really weird sentence, wouldn't it? He would say, since you've been saved, have you been saved? He's obviously talking about two very different things here, and this is just one of oodles of scriptures that demonstrate that spirit baptism is after salvation and a different experience. Um, salvation is all it takes to go to heaven, the most important spiritual thing. But I hope tonight, if, if maybe you've misunderstood that You'll see, and God will provoke in your heart. There's more, and guess what? There's always more from God, isn't there? Okay, let's look at the next misconception. It's a one-time event. You might remember that old hymn, You Lost That Love and Feeling. That was always one of my favorites. We'd sing on Sunday nights. And uh, I remember, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. It was right after the French and Indian War, and... and uh, I remember they were burning the capital to the ground in 1812, and there, I, right there, I, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And, you know, a lot of people, like, I remember when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit because I was, I was 12 years old, August 19, 1983. You do the math. I'm old. Um, and because we kind of think of baptism in the Spirit in terms of event. That's when it happened. Why? Because the Bible points to a specific supernatural sign to confirm that someone has indeed been baptized in the Spirit. But beyond that, you and I and people, Christians in general, tend to draw big lines the Bible doesn't make. I mentioned last night that a lot of people, because the Bible associates the sign of speaking in tongues confirming spirit baptism, a lot of people think that's all it is. Spirit baptism is just when you speak in tongues. Well, spirit baptism is a lot bigger than speaking in tongues. It's like when illustration we used for 20 years when I, we drove into town. I actually didn't see the sign, but I'm sure there's one that says, welcome to Painesville or Painesville or Painesville City Limit or whatever. And, um, and so you go, oh, that's the sign. Can you imagine if we would have pulled our, 
our bus right there by the sign. He got out and taken a selfie. Rochelle and I in front of Welcome to Painesville. We go, praise God, we've been to Painesville. Oh, we, were, we had a service there. Oh, Lord, help us all preach. Nobody was there. And then we turn around and drive off. We've been to Painesville. No, we've just, bare, we just entered the city limits and the sign demarks the edges. The same way speaking in tongues, praying in the Spirit is the sign that you are now at spirit baptism, that it's happened for you, but you've not really entered and plumbed the depths. You've got a lifetime to do that. And this raises the question, is spirit baptism an event or a process? This is a very important question. It affects really your entire understanding of this. And uh, if you stop and think about it, the answer is yes. In fact, a lot of people misunderstand it. I, I did too. When I was growing up, my, my personal Bible as a, as a teenager and a, a, a late child and early teenager, I had one of those hardback gold and black, like shiny gold, good news for modern man Bibles. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? I had the real unfortunate line drawings in there. And um, like the worst cartoons ever. And, uh, and so in that, um, on the back cover of it, I, I would write every, every open space as I was reading the Bible. And, and on the back, I had tally marks, you know, four down and one diagonal for five. And I had 74 of them on the back cover because I made note every time I sought to be baptized in the Spirit and didn't speak in tongues. But it was a lot more than 74. That's just where I emotionally shut down on keeping notes on it because I was starting to feel like a total failure. And I just always thought, nobody ever preached this to me, but I thought you respond if it's like a church service, you go to the altar, or you're in a prayer meeting, you, you know, step in the middle of the circle, whatever, and you pray and everybody dances around you with a garlic necklace and screams out, and then you either get it or you don't. I always felt like it was an all or nothing. Ah, like you hear people saying, oh, I was so close tonight. What does that mean? You know, I thought I was speaking in tongues, and I realized I was just belching, you know. I mean, what does that mean? I was just, you know. And so, biblically, this is not the way this works. Now, indeed, we do. We understand biblically that speaking in tongues is the confirming sign or initial physical evidence of being baptized in the Spirit. But it's not the same thing as baptism in the Spirit. Baptism in the Spirit is much bigger. Speaking in tongues is just the sign. It does play other roles and it builds us up, etc. But if all you got when you got baptized in the Spirit was you, you have now the ability to speak in tongues, you totally got ripped off because Jesus promised you miraculous supernatural power when the Holy Spirit came upon you. What to do ministry? Jerusalem, the city they were in, Judea, the bigger, it's like saying Painesville and then Ohio, and then Samaria, the next province over with the people you don't really like, which is obviously Michigan, and then, and then the ends of the earth, which would be Kentucky, right, you know? But you get the idea that, that the supernatural power as you grow in this and as you begin to learn about the things of the Spirit, you begin to rely upon Him, you begin to get conversant in these things and begin to really trust the limitless possibilities of God, not in arrogance, but out of relationship with Him, that God's gonna take you out of your comfort zone and do bigger things to your life than just punching a clock all these years, right? Which is honor, work is honorable, but God's got more for us than just work, right? And so this is so, so very, very important. So spirit baptism, an event or a process. 
Well, we look to the event when we first speak in tongues. And biblically, we can say, that is when I was fully baptized in the Spirit. But if you look at the book of Acts chapter 1, the first time Jesus made the command, don't go home. They were all from Galilee, 63 miles to the north. Don't go home. You stay in the city, Luke 24 and Acts 1. Stay in the city until you're clothed with the Spirit's power from on a high. Or, you know, don't go home. You're going to receive power when the Spirit of God comes upon you. Acts chapter 1. When they chose to not go home, but to instead go to Jerusalem, they stepped into, by their obedience, the bigger process of being baptized in the Spirit. The first time you pray, Jesus, baptize me in the Holy Spirit with the initial physical evidence of speaking in other tongues as the Spirit giveth utterance in every major Pentecostal and charismatic group in the world has in their doctrinal statement, amen. Or if you simply don't have the theology, but you say, Jesus, I need your help to tell my grandma about you. Same prayer. You step into the bigger process of being baptized in the Spirit. You keep on seeking. When the sign of speaking in tongues happens for you, go, oh, hey, check it out. Wow. And it's not a a thing of, of personal achievement, but it's a thing of realization to you. Wow, when the Holy Spirit comes upon me, he empowers me to say things that are bigger than I can come up with myself. Hmm, I can see that one being put to work in my life. Because if we can trust God to guide us to speak in the unknown tongue, how much more can we trust him afterwards to guide our known language to minister for him? To sign an outlandish sign to you and I that, hey, God is by his spirit going to guide and direct the things that I say. But then when should someone step out of the bigger process of being baptized in the Holy Spirit? What did Paul say? Ephesians 5? Never remain in the state of being filled. Keep on being filled with the Spirit. Continuously be being filled with the Holy Spirit. I and mean, the, the tenses there in the Greek are wonderful. Don't ever stop. Never stop being filled. I love all these different translations on this. But it's true. Did you know that if you just kind of like climb at a rock climbing wall, you climb the wall and you rang the bell, spoken tongues once and climb back down, that... There's a whole lot more for you. This is a river that's flowing, not a bucket that gets dumped once on your head. And our goal, yeah, we look for and believe and thank God for the sign that speaking in tongues means in its biblical place in our doctrine. But if you stop seeking, guess what? He's got more. Here's one of the great examples. The apostle Peter in the, in the book of Acts alone is recorded as being baptized in the spirit in the day of Pentecost and having a renewal of that experience at least two more times in the book of Acts, Acts 4 and Acts 6. Here's Acts 4. And after this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Who were they? The people filled with the Holy Spirit on the book of Acts, baptized in the spirit in the book of Acts chapter 2. This is likely about a year after that experience And they're back underneath the waterfall saying, Lord, do it again. Do it again. Remain under the waterfalls. Don't lose that love and feeling, right? Stay there. And if you're a person, it's been a long time. We're not talking about chasing experiences. We're talking about growing in effectiveness, going beyond just the entry point and going into the depths of the promised land of what it means to walk in the resources of the Holy Spirit. Boy, that was a good spot to say something. All right, then uh, look at the next one, please, finally. It's not for everyone. Well, you know, I mean, I came to the Lord late in life, and I was, you know, I, 
I had problems earlier on. I really struggled in habitual sin. And I was, of course, a Cowboys fan because that goes with that. And I, uh, you know, I, I, really, I really struggled. And so, you know, because of that, you know, I'm just lucky, whatever that means, just to be barely in the kingdom of God. And I, I just don't want to get on God's radar because he'll probably realize I shouldn't be on the guest list. So I'm just going to kind of mind my time, bide my time, mind my own business, and just kind of lay low and not stand out, and maybe I'll sneak by the pearly gates one day. Or they say, well, you know, that's not my gift. Well, Jesus says it is. Who do you believe, you or Jesus? Or they go, well, one day when I get all my ducks in a row, you know, like right now, I've got problems, you know. I mean, I'm not, I'm not ready yet. I need to be baptized. I mean, I'd be saved, rather, for a good 40, 50 years before I'm spiritually prepared to be baptized in the Spirit. Remember I told you that there were five cycles in the book of Acts of people or a group of people being baptized in the Spirit and then going and doing supernatural ministry? Acts 2, Pentecost. Acts 8, Samaria. Acts 9, Saul of Tarsus and Damascus. Acts 10, the Italians in Caesarea by the sea, and Acts 19, Paul in Ephesus, which is our text, all right? So those are the big five, the five cycles in Acts. Acts chapter 2, the people that were baptized in the Spirit, they were the longest tenured, most discipled, most mature people in the book of Acts that were baptized in the Holy Spirit. They had been with Jesus, some of them, for three years. Did you know Acts 8, 9, 10, and 19, the other four, they were all brand spanking new converts, and like Acts 10, Jesus sneaked it in simultaneously or a nanosecond after, probably theologically, um, uh, with their salvation. They were baptized in the Spirit without having any knowledge of it whatsoever. They were saved and baptized in the Holy Spirit faster than you can blink because God can multitask. He's good, right? People go, well, I'm just not mature. I just need more understanding. And honestly, a lot of leaders, now not your pastor, but there are a lot of leaders that go, we need to hold this back from the new because we don't want to weird out the new people. And yet Paul said to the Corinthian church, when I came to you, I didn't come with enticing words of man's wisdom, but I came with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so your faith wouldn't rest on the wisdom of men. If I can translate, that means a church coffee mug. No disrespect, but that's like a lot of people, well, you got to take it slow. Well, we want to give them a gift when they are a visitor, when they get saved. We'll give them a coffee. And coffee mugs are, I believe in coffee, don't you? I'm spiritual, you know. But you know what Paul said? Instead, not enticing words of men's wisdom, but a demonstration of the Spirit's power so their faith wouldn't rest on the wisdom of men, but rather on the power of the Spirit. You talk about a good visitor gift, getting them overwhelmed with the Spirit of God's power in a non-weird environment, that will change their life forever. Paul says, if an unbeliever comes in when these gifts are in operation, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, 25, and 26, uh, they will fall down, the secrets of their heart will be exposed, and they will fall down on their face and say, God is in this place. Now that's a new convert gift, right? That's a welcome to our church, you know. It's not for everyone. Well, Peter prophesies there on the screen in a sermon to lost people. Remember, when he preached on the day of Pentecost, he was preaching to people that hadn't been saved yet, and he told them, the promise of the Spirit is for you and for your children and for all those who are far off, which is a reference to the Gentiles, everyone that's been called by the Lord. 
he actually, on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2.38, his thesis of a sermon is, hey, you lost people, if you want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, you've got to get saved first. That would blow out of the water a lot of our churches and their doctrine, you know? Not making it more important, but they were seeing jealously the Spirit of God being poured out on a bunch of unqualified bumpkin Galileans. And they said, what's up with this? And Peter goes, oh, you want this promise from God that you know about from the Old Testament? You need to repent and give your life to Jesus first. Then you can be qualified to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Well, the Bible's good material, right? So check this out. So, And if the team wants to come back up, you guys are awesome. Everybody but the drummer. The drummer's really problematic. Have you noticed that? No, I'm just, I've been giving him a hard time. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's awful. Um, you got, I'm so thankful for SEU Ohio. You guys are amazing. And I love that while you're learning, you're exercising your gifts for the Lord. Way to go. Way to go. So, uh, so Rochelle and I were in the metropolis, big city, Beatrice, Nebraska. Not Beatrice, Beatrice. We were corrected. If you don't know where it is, I don't remember, but I think it's like uh, kind of southeast of Omaha, a little tiny town. The water tower is the big, big highlight there. And uh, that, and I think they had to uh, plague sweep through one time. But uh, there, other than that, there's really nothing memorable there. We were at, a, at a, a small Assemblies of God church. This must have been 20 years ago, because I remember we were in the blue motorhome then, so that's how I remember things by what RV we were in. And our kids were little. And I don't even know if Barrett was born yet. Our youngest son, maybe he wasn't. And so um, we were going to a conference like this, preaching and stuff. And at the end of the service, I always try my very best to give a uh, salvation appeal on some level or another. Because how many think it's important that people get saved? The most important thing, right? It doesn't have to be a big formal, you know, march down the aisle, kneel in the front, and whatever it can be. But it's actually pretty easy to get saved, isn't it? God, God has a wonderful way of of opening up his kingdom to us and whether you're the thief on the cross and have not a lot of theological knowledge but a lot of heart going, whatever you're doing, sign me up. You know, like Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as right. It kind of feels vague, but hey, it works, you know. And so, um, so I just gave a salvation appeal and there had been a, um, a visitor there that morning. It was a young single mom and she had like seven out of control children. Um, and... God bless single moms and single parents because you're doing the workload of two. And that must have just been like a full moon the night before or something, but they were just running around crazy. And, and I, the Lord always really rebukes me about that when I get distracted and I'm like, Frank, can't you just sit there while I'm talking? It's like really pukey self-importance, you know? And here these are like people dealing with real life circumstances and, and uh, you know, the Lord always really resets me on that because I'm sometimes just a knucklehead most of the time. And so it was one of those services, and I was like, come on. And then when I gave the salvation appeal, and the mom and most of the older kids came and gave their life to Jesus, I was like, God, really use that as a hard reset on me. So I'm up there praying with them and bawling my eyes out, you know, because it's just, the Lord's just moving. And I'm thinking, man. And I asked her, I said, had you ever gone to church before? And she goes, no. But she said, I saw they had a kids program, and I can barely raise my kids by myself and I thought, maybe the church could help instill some of those values in them. It's like, wow, really preached to me. So that night, we preached on baptism in the Spirit. She was there with all of her kids, and she came up, and she got baptized in the Spirit. And if I remember, I think the oldest son did too. I, uh, maybe another one, but at least, at least he did too. So that was Sunday. So Monday, so she's been saved like 
24, 36 hours or something like that by the time it was a Sunday, Monday, Tuesday meeting. By Monday night, I started the service out after worship and I said, hey, let's get some testimonies. And people were going, yeah, the Lord healed me. I had the mange and now it doesn't itch as bad or whatever. I forget what the healings were, but a couple of healing testimonies. And then she pipes up and she goes, I think I've got one of those things, you know. And so she came forward and I held the mic for her and she goes, well, this is all new to me. You know, yesterday morning I, I, I got saved or whatever and, and she starts crying. She goes, I just can't believe that God would save me and uh, some of my kids gave their life to Jesus and I'm just, this is so new and so exciting and it just was so refreshing to see the joy of salvation of someone that just had recently taken the trip from darkness to light. You know, some of us older ones our boat that we've made that transfer on uh, has too many barnacles now after the years and we don't remember the freshness of that you know and then she said and last night Sunday night last night I got that Holy Spirit thing where you say the funny words and um, she said I, I typically make the charge to people after they get baptized in the Spirit hey look you've got like 24 to 48 hours to try this thing out and really trust God to guide your words to minister to other people. Because the sign of speaking in tongues is very powerful. Um, it's not in isolation from baptism of the Spirit. It's a component to help you to understand that you are now able to get into the Lord's presence where you can sense what the Holy Spirit wants you to do and say. You're able to validate it. Hey, that's from God. And then you're able with some faith to act on it. That's a big deal. He's equipping you for ministry supernaturally. I said, you got like 24, 48 hours before you just begin to think that it's okay to speak in tongues without speaking to lost people because by the way, that's not okay. And so she said, last night I got that Holy Spirit thing where you say the funny words and I remember you said, hey, you got like a period of time to try it out. So she said, today I was doing laundry and the apartment that we live in, we doesn't have a, I don't have a washing machine so I go to a laundromat and I was on the corner um, and my kids were in school, the ones that were in school and the others I had with me and they were kind of all racing each other in the laundry baskets on the wheels. And she said, it just dawned on me, you know, it's going to come time for church and they're going to ask me, did you try it out yet? Because she was all brand new. She didn't know we don't like check up on people that way. And uh, she said, so I looked around, there were seven ladies in the laundromat. So she said, hey, uh, can I just have your attention real quick, ladies? Last night, so yesterday was this, I, I encountered God. It was crazy and amazing. I never thought you couldn't. Last night I got this Holy Spirit thing where it's like crazy. And you, you say these funny words and I've just never felt God like this before. And any of you guys want that? And she looks down, kind of disappointment. And she goes, well, it didn't go 100% because only six of the ladies prayed with me to get saved, not the seventh one. But I promise you, I'll get better at it. And I watched the whole room of people. Some, some of them have been speaking in tongues since Abraham and Sarah's engagement party. I watched them slide down. Because what good is it if you speak in tongues, but you don't ever do what Jesus told you, speak in prophetic power to lost people? You don't receive power merely to augment your spiritual life and speak in tongues. You receive the baptism of the Spirit. So you've had an encounter with God. You've learned his ways and you learn how to trust and you learn how to hear and you learn how to validate this is God and act upon it. How many want God to guide your words outside of tongues more, right? Stand up with me. Take a stretch. Stand up to your feet with me. Take a stretch. Reach for the sky. Shake it out. You've been sitting there for a while. All right. 
Now, I, I want to ask you something. So, you know, it's, it's, it's not too late. It's 8.30. We got time. But here's what we're going to do, all right? In a moment, I'm going to invite everyone that's physically able to, to get out of your seats and come to this altar and seek the Lord. Now, last night we had just this one zone for spirit baptism, but we're going to open up the very front edge of the platform all the way around for people that want to be baptized in the spirit for the first time. That's never happened. Or listen, if you look at your life and you go, I think I was baptized in the Holy Spirit one time back at Big Prairie Camp or Heartland or whatever. I think it kind of happened. But then again, I was, you know, 13 years old. It was the last night. I was sleep deprived and in a sugar fix. And I'm just, I've always doubted it. You'd be surprised how many people have an encounter of spirit baptism that always leaves a question mark. Come tonight along with the first timers and allow God to really validate. Who cares what people think? Come and let God really validate in that, that in your heart so you never deal with that question mark again because that question mark can really paralyze you, right? So if you want to be baptized in the Spirit for the first time or you just want a confirmation of that, I'm going to invite you in a moment when everyone comes forward, you just say, excuse me, excuse me. Tap them on the shoulder. They'll let, them, let you through and you just come and touch your toes anywhere along the front edge, the steps, the communion table almost said coffee table, uh, all the way around. Just touch your toes there. The reason why I want you to touch your toes there is because it helps me and the pastors and the leaders that will gently and kindly and non-manipulatively pray with you. Uh, it just lets us know what you're there for so we don't have to interrupt you, okay? If you are standing two feet back from the, we will not think that you're here to be baptized in the Spirit. We will think that you're here to have the, download the update, all right? All right, anybody want to download the update tonight? Fresh encounter? Now listen, if you've been there, done that, you've already experienced spirit baptism, you're here to download the update, get a fresh encounter like happened in Acts 4 and Acts 6 for believers and Peter particularly, you want to experience that. I'm not just saying come up here and start speaking in tongues. I'm asking you to say, Lord, teach me greater depths about this. Show me how to perceive your promptings and your leadings. Show me some deeper understanding of this because I've experienced a sign of speaking in tongues, but I want to grow in this. I want to go deeper than just enter beyond the sign. I want to go deep and spend some time. Your goal is not just to get up here and, you know, kind of, you know, wait for a pastor to tase you and then you speak in tongues. Your goal is to learn his ways. Learn his ways, all right? You ready? Okay, so without begging and pleading and singing a million songs, I'm going to invite you to come forward. You can come forward even now. As you come, I'm going to ask you to take the first minute, minute and a half, and just pray for fresh cleansing from sin. Because I don't know about you, I've already sinned tonight, actually even talking bad about the Cowboys fans. Uh, Although I strangely don't feel bad about it. But um, I'm going to pray about that anyway. But as I'm doing, as you're doing that, I'm going to invite us all to pray a fresh fresh prayer of repentance, but I'm going to lead those that want to give their life to Jesus, whether in this room or online, to the Lord, all right? So if you're hungry to be baptized in the Spirit for the first time, or you want to refill it, come on up, come on, join me. I hope it's everybody. If you can't come forward because of physical issues, we get it, but if your wheels spin, come on up here. Let's begin to seek the Lord. You can stand, sit, kneel. I need every pastor, every spouse, every prayer partner. I I need you. You can join me on the platform and and face people as we pray. If you want to be baptized in the Spirit, uh, I'll give you instructions in just a moment, but let's just pray a fresh prayer of repentance. Will you pray your own, all right? If you want to give your life to Jesus, it's very, very simple. You have a role, a responsibility in doing so. You have to call on the Lord. 
And a lot of times we feel inadequate in knowing what to say. So, uh, so you can follow my words of prayer. But honestly, if you just cry out to Jesus in some way and say, Jesus, forgive me. I believe in you. I mean, it, it's, it's good. It works. There's no, there's no gram, uh, grammatical judge on this. But would you all begin to pray your own prayers of fresh repentance right now? It's okay if you don't feel anything. Lord, just cleanse me. If you want to give your life to Christ, you can pray this prayer. Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your one and only Son and that no one else can save me from my sin but Jesus alone. And Lord, I have sinned. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against others. And I've even sinned against myself. And I can't fix that. But you can. Savior, would you save me? Would you wash me clean right now? And would you send your Holy Spirit to live inside of my heart so that I know that I belong to you? I no longer belong to myself. I no longer belong to the enemy. But I belong to you, Lord and King Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, if you're hungry to be baptized in the Spirit, here are the three simple steps. Step number one is something you do, and you're already starting. Step number one is you need to get as close to Jesus as you can because no one can baptize you in the Holy Spirit but Jesus. So just slow down. Take a deep breath. You're not in a hurry. There's no pressure. There's no performance anxiety. Your job is just to draw near to Jesus. It, that might happen very quickly for you. It might take a little time because there's a lot of complications in life or stresses on you. No big deal. Just draw near to him, all right? No hurry. No rush. Just draw near to Jesus. That's something you do. Step number two is something Jesus will do. He will begin to pour out the Holy Spirit upon you. You will sense the very presence of God falling upon you. You'll know it's God's presence because the Holy Spirit's lived inside of you since you were saved. It's the same Holy Spirit. He'll just begin to fall upon you. And honestly, that typically happens actually pretty quickly for people unless they're having really complicated, you know, life circumstances or not feeling well or something. You're going to sense them really quick. That's step two. That's something Jesus does in response to your prayer. Step number three While the Holy Spirit is upon you, since you only have one mouth, you will not discover the phenomena of speaking in tongues, which is that confirming sign, as long as you continue to speak out loud in English while the Holy Spirit's upon you. The problem is you've never spoken in tongues before, so you don't know what to do. So let me tell you seriously how easy it is. Theologically, the moment the Holy Spirit falls upon you, the ability to speak in tongues has been extended to you. You just need to discover it. And it's really, really simple. If you overthink it, it will become difficult. Just tell yourself right now, the moment the Holy Spirit falls upon me, I'm going to stop trying to speak out of my brain, out of my mind bucket. And instead, I'm going to try, even if it's a bumbling series of mistakes before I hit it, I'm going to try to speak out of my inner being where the Spirit of God is moving. You're going to feel inadequate. You're going to feel helpless. It's like when Peter uh, was in the boat and Jesus came walking on the water and Peter blurts out, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you. And Jesus goes, it's me, come on. Peter hops out of the boat and then he begins to sink, you know. But you got to take that step. You got to take that step. Jesus is calling you. Step out of your dignity. Step out of what you understand and begin to open up your mouth and speak to the Lord. Some of you will right away when the Spirit's upon you, you'll sense words and syllables bubbling up. Begin to speak them. You know the Word of God. You know the Holy Spirit. Trust Him. Others, you won't know what to say, but you feel an urging to speak, the utterance, the bubbling up inside. 
just try to give it out to God. You won't make a mistake. And the more you relax and give yourself to God, you are pre-wired as a Christian to be able to speak in tongues. You've got the room for it. So you just begin to discover it. And pay attention to the process. God wants to do more than just something to you. He wants to teach you his ways, all right? Now, come on, will you all join me, whether you're praying for the first time or you're praying for the 150th time, this lift our voices, don't be silent. Come on, try to match your desire and passion with your volume and pursuit right now. Come on, let's just turn it up and give it to him right now. Jesus, I need you, I need you, I need you. I need you, Lord. I I need some more leaders up here on the platform praying for people. Would you join me? If your prayer team or elders, deacons, leaders, you've been, I, I trust you. Come on, help me. You've been in this for a long time and knows the ways of the Spirit. Just be really gentle, all right? Come on, help me out. Thank you, Jesus. Help, help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Yeah. That's it. Lift your voice to the Lord. Lift your voice to the Lord. Yeah. Don't be silent. Even if it's very quiet whispers, that's cool. But if you're not speaking at all the Lord in prayer, begin to whisper even to Him. That might be a big step for someone if you're very shy. That's cool. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, just dive in. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.